Welcome to In-Depth Studies Weekend. In-Depth Studies is the teaching ministry of Jeff Volker, which seeks to equip the believer with a theological foundation. All teaching is from the point of view of the doctrines of grace and New Covenant theology. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, uh, here with Jeff Volker, who is, believe it or not, still director of In-Depth Studies. Good to see you, Jeff. Uh, last week, we talked about sort of the, the idea that there's been a shift in law, that the old covenant law has been replaced by a new law, a new lawgiver, a new priest, all of that that we looked at in, in uh, Ephesians and also in, in Hebrews. But the question is always asked, that, okay, if, if we're no longer under the Mosaic law, what law are we under and where do we go in Scripture to find that? That is the question. And we would uh, guide folks to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where here in the context, the Apostle Paul, in his discussion of his evangelistic strategy, as it were, he, uh, he addresses his relationship to both the Mosaic law and to law in general. And so let's pick it up in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm reading from the NIV. Paul says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And then he repeats it. He says, to those under the law, that's the Mosaic law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. So just stop there making the case that when he's sharing his faith, sharing the gospel with Jewish unbelievers, that he recognizes that they think the Mosaic law is still in effect, and therefore the diet, let's say the dietary laws are still in effect. So he's not going to take them to a barbecue place. Of course, we, would, we live out in the East Valley. We, Joe's Barbecue is probably one of our favorites. But he's not going to take them to Joe's Barbecue for pulled pork. That's Personally, I would like that, but he's not going to do that because they're going to be so incensed over, let's say, the violation of the dietary laws under the Mosaic law that they're not going to hear the gospel. So when he, even though he says, I'm not under the Mosaic law, so, but I will restrict my freedom, my liberty, and not go to Joe's Real Barbecue. I'll go to, you know, whatever, some other place. Chompies. So, Chompies. Actually, I did hear about some really good slider <laughs> chompies, but we're not going to go in the show with that to that direction. That is a food show, which is yeah. we have not really branched into that with new covenant, new covenant theology or in-depth studies. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, so he says, "Okay, I'm going to. I'm not under the Mosaic law because that law, the Mosaic law, is the version of God's law that is attached to the old covenant." the covenant God made with Israel, that works covenant. So he says, no, I'm not under that. So, But he will restrict his freedom and so that he will, in a sense, acknowledge the scruples of the Jewish unbelievers for the sake of getting the gospel. Mm-hmm. But then he clarifies this. If you pick it up in verse 21, to those not having the law, that is, they're not under the Mosaic law. That would be the Gentiles. I became like one not having the law, meaning at that point he has no restrictions on him like dietary laws. Mm-hmm. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. This is the key phrase. 
So he's very clear, I'm not under the Mosaic law. This is probably the clearest place that I'm aware of in the teaching passages of the New Covenant era, where it it just seems to just in a matter-of-fact way say that the Mosaic law is no longer binding on the believer as a unit. It just is not. When I when I read these passages and think about this topic, I'm always reminded I grew up uh, in, in, in a, a, a home where we went to church. Uh, you know, the, my mom was a believer. I think she's the only one in the family that, that was or is But uh, at this point. But what I always remember, I had a little plaque that had the Ten Commandments on my bedroom wall. I remember it was on up on that wall forever. And when I hear people talk about we need the Ten Commandments in schools and all this kind of stuff. That's what I think about when I read this. Yeah, and I think there is a sense in which that that is only natural. First off, when you think of law in Scripture, if you're reading Scripture and you're thinking of law, you are supposed to have a knee-jerk reaction and think about the Mosaic Law. And if you think about the Mosaic Law, you're supposed to immediately go to the Ten Commandments. Now, we're going to go there next in our next program to clarify that. But, But now... We need to stop and just reflect a little bit on, Paul says, on this statement that he mentions, I'm not under the Mosaic law, but I'm, I'm under Christ's law. Now, what is that? And there, there's a bit of controversy about that. So let's just sort of discuss that. The law of Christ is the version of biblical law that we are under in the New Covenant era, from Pentecost to the Second Coming, this is the version of God's law that we're under. Paul's very clear. He's not antinomian, which is the word for no law. It's not like he's without law, but he is in law to Christ. He is under Christ's law. Now, admittedly, this, this section right here is not going to explain everything. We're going to have to go elsewhere a bit. But this is Paul's just making the point that there is a law that he is under, but it's not the Mosaic law. It's he's under Christ's law. And so now we need to sort of kind of fill this out a bit. So Mm -hmm. turn with me in doing that to John chapter 13. And the reason we go there, the Gospel of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, here Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he makes this rather famous uh, statement in verses 34 and 35. He says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if you were to uh, distill down what we are to do in the New Covenant era. We are to love as Jesus loved. I mean, that's sort of like a summary statement. Mm -hmm. Now, what would be the summary statement of the requirements of the Mosaic Law under the Old Covenant? It would be the Ten Commandments. So what is the summary of the requirements as far as God's law under the New Covenant era? And it is love as Jesus loved. Now, just like the Ten Commandments needs to is fleshed out with all the Mosaic law, so also, so here in John thirteen thirty four and thirty five, the love as Jesus loved, this is, needs to be fleshed out because this phrase, in and of itself, is not sufficient nor complete. Mm-hmm. 
because we want to know in various situations what does it mean to love. Now, we should before we move on, we should address, right in the beginning of verse 34, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, the love one another thing is not new. It's not new. So if we went back and when we were discussing uh, the... Um, the two great commandments. You know, the question Jesus is, this is one of those places where Jesus is questioned by the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they're trying to trip him up, as, as it were. And he, he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. Now that's pretty uh, pretty strong stuff. Mm -hmm. And so what he's saying is that if you were to distill down, by the way, we were in Matthew 22. I, I neglected to say that. I apologize. Matthew 22, 34 through, 30, through 40 where Jesus makes this statement, that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you were to distill down all of God's law, whatever form of it, it makes no difference, it all it boils down to two commandments, basically, two general commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second, love your neighbor as yourself. So all the commandments are come from these two commandments. So that... So both Old Covenant and New Covenant law distills down to that. Yes, because you have a Old Covenant version mm -hmm. of that, Old Covenant law version of, of these two commandments, which is the Ten Commandments Mosaic Law. Right. Then you have a New Covenant era version of these two commandments, which is the law of Christ, love as Jesus loved. Mm -hmm. So the difference, though, is in how we go about that. Yes, it's really fleshing out the content right. of that law. Um, now, it, this is sort of, it's somewhat humorous. Mm -hmm. I always get in trouble because I think things are funny when they're, I'm probably not supposed to be funny, especially <laughs> on, on radio. But, you know, the uh, love is Jesus' love. This brings into this, brings up the discussion of uh, what would Jesus do? Right, right. WWJD. And, of course, that's all in uh, jewelry, little neat necklaces, mm -hmm. etc., mm -hmm. or I would say it's in the Jesus junk stuff, but that's beside the point. Right. Uh, is that what we're saying, that we're supposed to do what Jesus do? No, that's not what we're saying, because what would Jesus do is, is an inappropriate question to ask this side of Pentecost, because Jesus himself is the unique Messiah, God who became man, and he had a unique role. He did things that we cannot do. He read minds. He could, uh, he, he could uh, establish motive of people, which we can't. We can't look inside folks. Uh, he came fulfilling prophecy. Uh, all of these things, he, which controlled what he did, it's his, so therefore his role is very different than our role. Mm -hmm. So when it says in uh, John thirteen thirty four love as he loved, the idea was that first the commandment to love one another, of course, that's not new. You see that throughout the Old Testament, Mosaic Law, but 
the example of God showing us how to love, ah, that is new. Mm -hmm. That is very new. But when we're trying to flesh out the details as to exactly what does that mean for us believers who live this side of Pentecost in the New Covenant era, we need to discuss the law of Christ, the details. And so that's what brings us into this discussion of, okay, how do you sort out what is the content of the law of Christ? Mm-hmm. Now, now there, here it brings up another question, because when you talk about law in the Old Covenant era, you have a very neat sort of presentation of Mosaic Law, Ten Commandments and Mosaic Law. But when you get to the New Covenant era and the law of Christ, things don't look like they're presented in a very neat form. Mm-hmm. We have all these letters, the Apostle Paul, Peter, John, etc. Uh, these various letters, and in the, in the midst of these letters, you have commands and telling us what to do, not do. All, all That's true, but it's not in a neat form like the Old Covenant Mosaic Law. And why is that so? That's a, and I think it's, it is a wonderful question. So the reason that is so is because in the Old Covenant era, of course, that's a works covenant made with Israel, who are a temporary unbelieving picture of the people of God. In the Old Covenant era, the aspect, since you're primarily dealing with Israel as an unbelieving people, they are emphasizing law, emphasizing law, which is how you show that you need a Savior, because you're a lawbreaker, okay? But in the New Covenant era, where you're primarily addressing believers, the emphasis is not law, but the emphasis is the changed life, the new heart, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, because this is what brings about a transformed life. Remember that on Mount Sinai, God gave his law to Israel, the picture of the people of God. He gave it to them, and we're told in Romans 5.20 that when the law was given to Israel, it only increased sin. It was given to increase sin, Romans 5.20. Okay, well, well, that was uh, because that the Mosaic era, the new covenant, I mean, the old covenant era is from Pentecost, I mean, from Wow, I'm getting mixed up here from Mount Sinai to the cross. It's a 1,500-year illustration of the futility of trying to be accepted by God on the basis of what you do. And so they're emphasizing law. Absolutely true. But in the New Covenant era, when they're talking about believers, the emphasis is not law because law is not the basis of change for a believer. Law never brings about change. We talked a bit, we were in Romans 7, we took that little excursion into Romans 7, and the idea was law does its job very well. It shows us our sin, but it has absolutely no power to change us. So, well then, for a believer, if, you, if a believer gets their sins forgiven, which we do through the death of Jesus on the cross, how do we change? Not by law but by the work of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus also purchased by his death on the cross. So we're thinking in terms of, once again, that sort of our flagship verse, as it were, Hebrews 10, 14, where it says, describing the work of Jesus on the cross, for by one sacrifice he has made 
perfect forever. That's the forgiveness of sins. Those who are being made holy, which is the work of the Spirit, described in Romans chapter 8. So in the New Covenant era, the emphasis, A, is believers, and then the means of growth for a believer, which is changed life, fruit-bearing, work of the Spirit. In the Old Covenant era, you had the focus of attention was Israel, who were an unbelieving picture of the people of God, and the emphasis was law, because that's what God uses to convict the unbeliever of their need for a Savior. So you have these two different emphases, Old Covenant era, New Covenant era, which is why when you read from Exodus through all the way through the Old Testament, you are primarily concerned about law. Whereas when you read from you know Romans onward in the teaching passages of the New Covenant era, that's not the emphasis at all. Law is worked is sort of sprinkled all through the place, but that is not the emphasis because the law is not the means of change. The means of change is the work of the Spirit transforming believers, driving us to live for Jesus Christ. This is... I think this is a very important thing to keep in mind, these two different emphases. Mm-hmm. I'm struck by when you, when you look at the Old Covenant laws and ceremonies and all that, everything from the, the, the way they wore their hair, the clothing, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the way they farmed, every, everything they did was external. They were separate, holy, meaning set right. apart, but it was all external. It was physical. It wasn't what we have on the New Covenant, which is we are set apart or being made holy, but it's internal. It's being evidenced by what we do, but it's not accomplished by what we do. Whereas in the old, that was it was all about works or accomplish. And, and, and it, it just strikes me that, that you know, that, that that's, is, is so apparent. That, again, goes back to that picture fulfillment idea. You know, you look at, at, at uh, the Orthodox Jews today, and they do look rather different and strange and, you know, off-putting or whatever. But believers... You and I could look just like the unbeliever next to us. Nobody would know we were believers by just looking at us. No. The evidence of our faith has to come through the Spirit working in us and through through the things we do, but that's the evidence, not the means. Absolutely, absolutely true. So when you had the Old Covenant uh, with Israel on Mount Sinai, God you, was using law mm-hmm. to motivate. And, of course, it can only cause more sin, as we described in Romans 5.20. In the New Covenant era, the motivation is now internal. The phrase from Hebrews 8, which is a quotation of Jeremiah 31, the law is now placed in the heart, not meaning specific laws. He's talking about motivation. Now, in the New Covenant era, with believers, the motivation is internal. That is, the Spirit of God is causing believers to desire to live for Jesus Christ, to love him, to persevere. And that is what makes a believer different. And it's interesting, when we, when we, when we come across unbelievers, we're trying to witness to them, give them the gospel. Invariably, they're going to say, what do I need to do? Me, implying, what works do I have to perform to get right with God? In a similar way that the, the, the nation of Israel tried to do. And our, our answer is always, there's nothing you can do. You, all you ha- all you have to look to the cross. You have to you have to trust and believe, and all you know. Obviously, the Lord has to do the work. But it is fascinating that, that both sides of the equation, everybody's looking for works. 
That seems to be man's natural bent, that we must do something to please this God. Right. And, of yeah. course, we say Jesus, the hub of New Covenant theology is that it is, the cro- it is cross-centered. Jesus does it all, not only paying for our sins, getting us unconditionally accepted, which is justification, but he's also purchased this transforming work of the Holy Spirit, which guarantees sanctification. And we're going to grow. We're going to persevere. Now, there is another passage that uh, the other passage in, in, the te- in the teaching passages of the New Testament would be Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. So let's turn there now. This is where the other use of the phrase law of Christ is found. So it would be helpful to look at that. Now, it's in a context. He's talking to believers, particularly about the responsibility of believers to to address sin in other believers' lives when they are caught in it, etc. So let's just read that, the first two verses. He says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And by law of Christ, he's just describing how you love one another. Because that, remember that in John thirteen thirty four, this loving as Jesus loved, this is the summary statement of our responsibility as a believer. And so when they describe the law of Christ, they can describe it as, in effect, loving one another, okay? Or to use the phrase at the end of Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, once again, you can look at the law of Christ as far as a couple different ways. I think at least three different ways. One at its, at its most basic meaning, it is John 13, 34, and 35, loving as Jesus loved. So that's because that is the evidence of a new heart, that we love one, one another. Remember, Jesus says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Number two, you have the issue of, uh, my mind just slipped a gear there, but the, the, the issue, if you if you are going to now sort of take the, the next step, what is the law of Christ? It is just caring for one, one another. That Once again, that is an appropriate way in a shorthand sort of way to describe this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love one another. But once again, neither of those phrases, loving as Jesus loved or loving one another, fulfilling, you know, carrying each other's burdens, neither are those phrases sufficient to flesh out the details of what does it mean to love one another this side of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. That's where you need the rest of the teaching passage, where it's not like it's rocket science, difficult to figure out. Example, if you went to Ephesians 4, uh, this is verses 25 to 32, which is probably when we do mar- marriage counseling, mm-hmm. we're dealing with problems of communication, which is usually an issue in marriage. Uh, they, they Here it, it's giving... We are given instruction by the Apostle Paul, who speaks with the authority of Jesus, as to how we are to treat one another. Example, verse 20, 25, verse, I mean, chapter 4, verse 25. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Okay, well, that's something we're supposed to do. 
Well, that is the details of the law of Christ. Mm -hmm. So you could look at the law of Christ, both in terms of its most basic form, love as Jesus loved. You can look at it in a general way, we are to love one another. Or you can look at it as far as the details, all the teaching passages, how they, what they tell us about how we are to treat one another. Because the mistaken notion, even within the camp of New Covenant theology that has emerged in some, is they mistakenly equate the, the law of Christ with the new heart. And that's wrong. It is the new heart, which is the work of the Spirit, that guarantees if you're a real believer, you're going to want to live for Jesus Christ, obey his commandments. But then the question is, what are his commandments? Mm -hmm. Which is all that the teaching passages tell us this side of Pentecost, which is the law of Christ. So the law of Christ is all that we're responsible to do this side of Pentecost. And the last sort of complaint is that, wait a second, if you're saying that the, old, the law in the old, in the, for the Old Covenant era is described as this mosaic law, these lists of laws, and the law in the New Covenant era is described as these lists of laws, the law of Christ, isn't that somehow missing the emphasis in the New Covenant era? And the answer is no, it's just describing two different versions of God's law that uh, govern everybody at all times. Good stuff. We're going to pick, pick this up again next week and, and continue to flesh this out. One quick question, though, when we're talking about the, uh, the passage we read in uh, Galatians, it says brothers, so it's talking about believers there, correct? Yes, yes, all believers. Not just the guys, but the gals, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll look forward to next week. You can find us on the web at IDS.org or call us at 480-924-4290 or email Jeff at Jeff.Volker at IDS.org.